welcome to episode 33 of That 60s Recording Podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. I hope that you have all had a lovely week. Uh, this week I'm continuing my conversation with Ivana Manley uh, of Manley Laboratories. Once again, uh, just a fantastic woman and I really hope that you're enjoying this conversation. Um, I should tell you before we begin that my isolated drum stems that I send out every week, uh, which are the Beatles isolated drums. So I re-record tracks that Ringo has, uh, well, not just Ringo, but re-record Beatles drums tracks, essentially, um, just for fun. <laughs> um, so, and you can see them all on my website, allyouneedisdrums.com. And the isolated drums that I'm sending out this week are I Want to Hold Your Hand, one of my favourite ones. I absolutely don't know why I haven't got around to it yet. Um, so that's what's coming out uh, on Tuesday morning. So if you're listening to this podcast uh, and haven't signed up to the mailing list, you can do that on my website. And also it will be live on my website, so you can just go and look there. Um, and that's it. So here we go. going to dive straight into part two of my conversation with Ivana Manley. Here we go. So then you took over sort of sole control of the company in 93 is that right? or 96 uh yeah 93 is when we divided manly apart from vtl and moved okay. into the building where we're still at now and um then david he was an alcoholic and he was dry for a couple of years and then he got back on the sauce and then he took off in 96 and moved to france and okay. and then we in the course of the divorce um we'd split up everything and I, I bought him out of Manly Labs and also, you know, helped him just sell off all the stuff he had acquired in, in the States that he, he just didn't want to be here anymore mm-hmm. and um, pulled another geographical and went to another continent as he was <laughs> prone to do throughout his life. So yeah. Anyway, that's how that all happened. But business wise for you, was that a, uh sort of freeing then suddenly being able to, to um sort of... i had to first balance out the emotional parts because i was really hurt and devastated yeah. and i still had a lot to learn about myself later on as well but um it was hard and but i the the story i tell is you know i was kind of after i got over the emotional hurt of it all and then i started getting angry and then i used that that emotion, that anger to drive me to work and to excel. And it was, it was kind of like a revenge through success motivation. Like I'll show you, you want to <laughs> leave here? We're going to kick ass. We're going to have awesome products. These things are going to be amazing. They're going to be better than anything you ever did. Ha ha ha. That was like my, <laughs> that was the voice in my head. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what spurred me on to, to come out with these, Pretty outrageous project projects like the um, the Vox Box. That was my first pro audio solo project after he left, and it was oh, cool. it was kind of like a greatest hits package. But each section had enhancements over the standalone products. So it's like, yeah, I'll take what you started and make them better. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the the Stingray um, amplifier was my first hi fi design, and. Also, importantly, though, you know, we had a good team at the factory. We all worked together on aspects of the design, like new transformer designs and uh, layouts and listening to this and 
Paul gave us a new driver circuit to try, you know, that kind of thing. So we, we did, it was a team effort. Definitely. I don't want to take all the credit there. Um, did you definitely. set your sights on specific pieces of gear that you wanted to create? What was your sort of in your, in your mind's eye, uh, in your mind's eye, what were you aiming for? So you made this, um, the Vox box, which is like, as you say, a greatest hits of, of lots of things in, in one unit. But then did you have a, a plan of what, what you kind of wanted to put out further down the line or were you just focusing on one project at a time? Um, well, yeah, the Vox box, I, I saw the success that 737 was enjoying and then focus right had come out with a voice box in their platinum range. And I'm like, well, they missed a good rhyming opportunity here. I'm going to make a combo unit called a Vox box. Um, and then, you know, we needed a, a big badass EQ to go with it. And, and we had the big badass variable Mew, you know, so those, those, um, you know, important pro, pro audio building blocks, you know, we had to nail that stuff down, but things came out as they came out. Yeah. <laughs> And you managed through through all of it. You've it, everything's handmade in California or hand assembled in California. And I, I'm really interested in the uh, what uh, what issues are there in retaining a company in a company that retains sort of handmade um, stature, if you like. That you know there there must be there must be so many complications in terms of your your margins having to pay higher prices for your employees you can't and, even imagine them all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of them in fact after this podcast i'm going to get back down into solving the problems of the day you know <laughs> as i say you know manufacturing is uh you know you will never be bored there is something popping up every day there is a new surprise every day that no clean flux, you might need to actually clean it. You know, it's just <laughs> everything can come and bite you in the ass. Um, a part that you've been using for 20 years might suddenly start blowing up every day. It's like, okay, <laughs> we got to go find another vendor. Or, you know, somebody made the cables wrong and there's 200 cables that are missing something, you know, whatever. <laughs> every day is an adventure and... We are talking about human beings building this gear and humans are definitely not perfect. And there are issues every single day. Um, you know, most, most people understand that. And um, sometimes we definitely stretch our customers patience. I can admit that. And we ask for continued patience because sometimes things happen and we just have to scramble and solve the problems. And there you go. But I, I've, I've known, I've seen like people, you know, kind of put us up on this high pedestal and I know our stuff is expensive, but it's like, man, robots are not making this gear. You know, people are, and sometimes there are issues and, you know, the best thing we could do is solve them quickly. So I'll, I'll be humble and, and declare openly that we are not perfect, <laughs> but we sure strive to be. And with electronics, it demands perfection. Like if there's one resistor that's the wrong value or one thing that wasn't screwed in all the way or whatever, it's a problem. And the whole thing can fail because of one little problem. So we strive for perfection and our error rate is probably around 1%. It's pretty good for yeah. manufacturing. Very good. I'd yeah. say um, we pay close attention to, you know, the service records and what's happening after 
after we unit ship out and for how long, because we've got over 30 years of gear out there and see what see what fails and what holds up. And we use all that to continually improve every day. Every day there's something to learn. And mistakes are there not to chastise people or to, you know, they're there to learn from and to continue to improve. So it's that that kind of feedback we, we really do need to keep getting better and better all the time. I one something we talk about a lot on this podcast is um, with regards to recording is less of a um, specifically a, a gear orientated thing, although it kind of is in a way. But it's a mentality towards recording and and putting things put you know putting things on on the tape or in the computer or whatever you're doing, but in a way that um, you don't necessarily have to edit it all the time or do 10,000 takes or use a thousand plugins or this kind of stuff. And it strikes me that your, your attitude towards running the company and the, the way the company runs is that same equivalent, but in manufacturing gear. And I, I love that. I love that in, in you know, in, 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 in the, the day of, of when valve technology was popular, tube technology was popular, things will have been hand assembled exactly like that. And that's, part of the reason why that is that gear is so special and nostalgic um obviously not the the main reason but it's part of that reason and that you've managed to to bring that along with your journey and i think that that's a, you know a huge a huge part of the reason why what you make is really special and uh, you know it's it's kind of like in business like i i've never been driven by you know, oh, i want to get rich or i've got a board of directors to satisfy it or you know, we need to make the books look awesome or, you know, we need to show all this profit or stuff like that. You know, those, okay, to, to, to pull it in, you know, empirically, that, that's like having meters and that's like recording with your eyeballs watching the meters instead of listening. It's like using the wrong senses. <laughs> so for me, you know, the success for me is like, you know, lowering that error rate or, you know, being more perfect with the gear or designing new stuff or selling a bunch of these things and, and everyone loves them, you know, the, like more organic measures of success, not just uh, the bottom line in the books, you know yes. what I'm saying? So, and I've seen that also that shift from when I first started 32 years ago, you know, there, there wasn't pro tools <laughs> People were recording to 24-track tape and, um, you know, people were not looking at computer screens. They might see a needle bouncing, but you've got to sit there and listen to it. And so these days, uh, because people record with their eyeballs so much looking at the screens, and then they'll call us like, hey, you know, they're this, this uh, level on that thing's a half dB louder than that, that channel. It's like, okay, well, just hit the knob a little bit. Just blow <laughs> on it. Okay, there's your half dB. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, see, they do that because they're looking at it. And, but if, if people were actually recording with their ears and not watching the, the knob marking and not watching the computer screen, if they could have heard that half dB discrepancy, they would have just turned the knob <laughs> yeah. a little bit, right? So there's been a shift on how 
people record. Um, I, I think it's right. it's made us tighten up, but then mm. it's also creates unrealistic expectations. It's like, hey, this is organic analog equipment. Every resistor, every capacitor, every choke has a tolerance. You know, sometimes that potentiometer might have a twenty percent tolerance range. Yeah. So we have to go through and match them so that you will have a fairly equal balance on both channels on that function, say. In the in the computer, of course, it's an equation, and it's always perfect, and they don't calculate imbalances into it. They don't, <laughs> they don't insert the tolerance. The tolerance is like zero, where we're working with 1% to sometimes 20% tolerance with the parts. But it's... It's those kind of imperfections that can be, you know, human in linking. I mean, go listen to Beatles records and you'll hear a slight guitar clam or a vocal come in early or something. And we've all memorized those little bits in the songs, but they, they make them human, you know. Or go listen. There was a video I was watching on YouTube where they took Steve Perry from Journey, and they auto-tuned his vocals, and it's it's shocking. It's like leave him alone. <laughs> Holy cow! How horrible! I sent him it. that link, and he was just terrified, mortified. <laughs> it's like that's horrible, and um and also he he pointed out that they 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 said they were. There's something with the guitars. He's like, that's not even a guitar. It's a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's incredible. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, yeah. Um, let's uh, remember that we're all humans and embrace that. I, I had a, an interesting uh, conversation with somebody recently, and it was uh, this sort of thing came up. And I remember doing some recording, I mean, years ago now, 12, 13 years ago. And we were talking about... Um, a guitar that was was out of tune or a, the melody line of the song that was out of tune that was played on a synth maybe and we, it would deliberately been out of tune and we would it, i think there's been research into into things being out of tune and the human beings are naturally um drawn to things that are wrong because we we can sort of fix them and we and in our heads not physically fix them but we our, our minds can uh, can fix them and it also makes things a bit, a bit more human and that's why we actually like things not being perfect because that shows that it's like us and um, we're that's why we're drawn to it and I, it gives I, us work to do yes exactly <laughs> it does. gotta fix all the imperfections <laughs> absolutely that's it. awesome I'm, i mean and then link back to 60 songs too it's like you know people are that you know it's like they'd be struggling over you know, maybe there's a half dB discrepancy or something. Um, Sorry, that it's light like, is so bright. I don't know how yeah. to, I'm going to have to move into the way of it. <laughs> it's like, dude, give me a song with a, a good hook. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. Know, you know, <laughs> nobody cares about this half dB discrepancy. Let, let's hear that awesome song that I want to play again and again. You know? Exactly, precisely. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I, uh, I, I I just find it really interesting the way that the the company runs and that attitude. I mean, personally, I I feel that that's what the world needs more of. And then we we're, we're sort of moving into a slightly different territory here. But that's what you know people need to 
people. I think we should start paying more for things and appreciating things value more and doing, um, you know, not, not cheaper is not better. And we, we need to, you know, it, for me, it goes down to things like food and, and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, I'm moving on to <laughs> moving into my sort of uh, politics here, <laughs> but it doesn't, doesn't matter. So, <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to, uh, to, get you to speak about if, if you wouldn't mind is a, a lot of the interviews that you give you've spoken you speak so eloquently about electronics and with such passion and I know there will be younger listeners um, and me included um, who are new to to a lot of this this world could you explain uh, how a valve works but hearing it from somebody like you I think it would be extra special <laughs> so I'd, I'd love you to to just just describe your understanding of of the inner workings of a, of a, a oh, tube. thanks well you know i i found it kind of hard to grasp some of these electronic concepts you know early on i mean ohm's law i can i can get that i can you know write the equations and solve those easy things you know um and some of the more obscure things like you can't see and you have to kind of visualize it they were hard for me to grab initially, definitely. Um, but don't give up, you know, when you, it depends like how you learn about it too. I was trying to, to learn, I was trying to read books and learn about these things early on in my career. And I, I found it very hard to get into my head actually. Um, vacuum tubes are an amplifying device. They, um, the simplest form would be a bonode. That would be a light bulb. Okay. It has a heat of a, what you, we would call a heater. It has an element and you run a current through it and it produces light and heat. So a vacuum tube has one of those things in it called the filament. And it's jammed inside a, a metal tube that's called the cathode. So the, the very center of the tube is the filament. And then you have concentrically coming out you've got a cathode and its job is to expel electrons and make them fly away and they're going to fly away to another thing that's outside called an anode a plate so that would be the the most simple vacuum tube with two elements we're not going to count the filament <laughs> we're going to just count the cathode and the anode that would be a diode so in its simpler form, simplest form, you can make a vacuum tube diode um, that's transmitting current one way, but not the other. And then you can use those in a power supply to, to change AC into DC, for instance. So, you know, those are very early examples there. Um, so DeForest and then Armstrong, DeForest put, put a thing in the middle between the cathode and the anode, he put a, a thing in the middle of it, which became what we call a grid, and it's fine wire wrapped on two posts like this. And it turns out that when you apply a voltage to that thing, you're controlling how many, how, how you're controlling the electron flow from the cathode to the anodes. So it's, it's kind of like a, a regulator. It's kind of like a water valve. And that's why British people call them valves, yes. call vacuum tubes valves. So that's how we change, like, how much we're going to amplify from. So we're going to modulate that grid with the music. And we'll have a, a bigger amplitude of that music coming off the anode, for instance. So 
that's in a nutshell like how it's physically functioning um and there you go building vacuum tubes i've been to two vacuum tube factories in my okay. life and they're very complicated endeavors you've got to know a lot about it, a lot of different disciplines to build a vacuum tube and they're also very labor intensive to put together you know you have to use your hands and you know physically insert that little wire into that little tube and then do some little micro spot welding and all this kind of thing. So it's, it's not for the faint of heart and it's <laughs> expensive and it's, it's really difficult. What? That's how tubes sort of work. <laughs> Thank you. What in, uh, if I don't know if it's, it's a matter of opinion or physics, but what makes one tube better than another so when you're perhaps deciding what tubes you're going to put in your products, what uh, uh, what informs those decisions? Yeah, well, practically speaking, what tubes can I purchase? Thousands <laughs> of. That's one thing because tubes are only being made in Russia, China, and the Czech Republic for the mo most part. I okay. Mean, there aren't that many factories on the planet making vacuum tubes. So um, in the past, sometimes we've obtained you know, lots of 20,000 pieces of that new old stock, you know, tube. And then, you know, we'll design some circuits around that because we have a ton of them. And then other times the, those have run out or there's real dregs out there. So we have to design around currently produced tubes that are good and reliable and quiet and all that. But yeah, the best tube is the quiet one that's not making noise that is going to last for a long time. That that's, you can buy lots of. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's really interesting. I'd, I'd never thought that that so few companies would be making them. And is is it getting is it increasing with with sort of tube popularity increasing? No. no. All right. No, but we're lucky it's staying the same for now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's um what's sort of next? I know that I, I was interested in. You know, obviously, you have a, a relationship with Universal Audio, um, and they've done the plug-in things, which is of that's you know that's how I first came across Manly as a company was um, was through uh, plugins, and that's although that kind of goes against what you're doing in terms of physical gear, it's also a good way of introducing people to to sort of the work how how um, analog gear works in a, in a sort of easy. You got way. it. Yep. It. The plugins for us at first, of course, we had the, the typical fear of, you know, plugin sales cannibalizing hardware sales. But um, after we got going with Universal Audio, we found quite the opposite. So for, you know, a retail price of $300 for a massive passive and you can run it nine times or whatever, <laughs> um, nine instances, I mean. It, it started serving as the demonstration model or the entry level model in our product line. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I started seeing fewer of those questions like, Hey, what's the best setting for vocals? <laughs> like, don't ask me, go turn the knobs. Yeah. <laughs> they already turned the knobs in the plugin. So they figured it out. You know what I mean? Um, and that's still my answer. Don't ask me. I am not a recording engineer. You are. <laughs> you you can you can turn those knobs. That was a telemarketer. Ah. Dialing my phone. <laughs> Sorry. 
got interrupted there. No, all good. Um, yeah, so I encourage everyone to not ask me where to put the knobs. You've got the <laughs> unit in front of you. You've got a mic in front of your musician. Uh, just turn the knobs. You will not blow anything up. Fire will not erupt. <laughs> the earth will not open up be be beneath your studio. Just turn the knobs and find sound that works for you. <laughs> Is that generally true that uh, the more that um, the sort of the, the more uh, well, plug-in versions of things have become accessible that you've seen sales have grown because people are suddenly being exposed to things they didn't realize were good. <laughs> and they, they go, oh, wow, if the plug-in's good, then the actual right. unit must be absolutely brilliant. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, for one thing, like if you're doing um, high-res audio and, and you're required to retain all the information up over, you know, into the stratosphere, then you might want to using analog equipment because we're not going to chop off everything above uh 22k or whatever so um <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing but no people say that it's probably about um 10 12% improvement to get the hardware and it costs a lot more money but that's the law of diminishing returns is you know that's the way it goes oh well yeah absolutely i mean you're paying so yeah it's a it's clear that you know anybody who who has started their outboard gear collection knows <laughs> knows the, uh, the the sort of the risks that they're taking with it, but also the the benefits. It's the small percentages that add up to make the great. Yeah, you know, but it is. is but it's real. It is a real change. That last twelve percent is very important for sure, especially in the high frequency, and then also just the the depth and the the phase information that just. That if you can keep that stuff intact as long as you can through the recording process, it it probably does play a good role in well, making your stuff sound good. Yeah, it certainly does, and it also I think plays into the um, you know the physicality of having a, a physical of, of having a product in front of you or something in front of you to twist. It means that your mentality towards using it is is different than a plug-in. You know, you have to commit, for instance, and you have to make decisions. And that's often, um, and yeah, and you might retain a little bit of imperfection somewhere, no, and that right. yeah, that's what go. humanizes it, you know. But you exactly, absolutely. Yep. So what um what is, where do you see the the next things happening? I, I mean, I've noticed um that you guys haven't got any five hundred series equipment um at all, which is clearly a choice that you've a decision that you guys have made. Um, what's the you know, there's there's all these trends happening in the audio world right now. What are you just sticking to your guns, making the? I've always been sticking to my guns, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so 500 series, everyone's screaming for that. Um, what we did instead was I enlisted um, Bruno Putzis to design us this awesome modern switch mode, high voltage power supply, and we call that Manly Power Circle R, and. <laughs> You know, that's we're busy getting that power supply into, you know, retro engineering it into our older designs. Okay. It doesn't mean it's retrofittable. Yes. Uh, without a lot of work and mods. So we're not offering retrofitting of it, but we, the newest models are driven by manly power. So we did the microphones and the massive passive last year. So all three of our mics in the mass, massivo, um, 
have manly power on them these days. And the benefits of that power supply, which is bigger, cleaner, faster, sounds awesome, works all over the world. You don't have to reconfigure voltages. You just plug it in anywhere. And, um, you know, for us manufacturing, we can keep one product in stock, not, you know, 240 volts, 220 volts, 120, <laughs> 100 volt, you know. So it simplifies our, our lives as well. And, and then, and people don't, some people don't really think about voltage changes anymore because, you know, you just take your USB charger and plug it in anywhere, you know, like <laughs> you don't think about it. Right. So there, there, there were a lot of instances where people would travel from United States to Europe and plug in their mic and it blew up. Oh my God. It's like, well, yeah, you have, that's, it was set at 120. You have to reset it for 220. And the new power supply, you don't have to mess with any of that. It's auto sensing and it just works everywhere. So that's okay. good news. So see, that's where I put my focus was, you know, definitely on what is weakest about the 500 series um, platform, especially for vacuum tubes. You yes. know, I don't want to hear about your plus and minus 15 or 18 or whatever. I, I can't <laughs> properly run a vacuum tube off of that. <laughs> and and then you know bang for the buck with my manly force that's four micries and one channel and one chassis sorry with yep. manly power and it's 2500 bucks so what's that uh 600 something dollars a channel i could not even do that in 500 series no. if i if i were you know what i mean so we can bring out cost effective stuff um that competes dollar wise per channel, but has a proper power supply and sounds awesome and has headroom for days. You know? <laughs> yes. So that's my answer to that. Ace, I mean, that's an incredible answer. <laughs> that's it's, it's a yeah. Just gonna do it better, <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 you know, price out about the same anyway. So, um, so. The one thing I did want to ask you about was the design and names of the, of the products. I love the fact that you have you have products that are obviously based on on sort of uh, you know legacy products like the Poltec EQ and things like that. But you've done it in you've redesigned the 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 sort of front plates in a way that is completely manly and it's. All the you know, there's a few sort of um, there's definitely a sense of humor in the way in some the way that some of them are named and the way that they look. I just I mean I I struggled to think. I was sat the other day looking through the website and I was just thinking I can't think of another <laughs> another company that has such a unique looking range of products that is um, that doesn't look in, based on anything else. Everything has some sort of like, oh, that looks a little bit like that that other thing or that preamp looks like a this preamp. Yours don't. They just look like manly products. Thanks. I, I think that's a really important lesson in branding that um, I had forgotten at one point, actually, and one of our designers was trying to make like a, a new range within a range, but then you'd look across the room and you can't tell that that is a manly product. You know what I mean? Um, the... The thing that David did was that the manly blue, you know, we call it manly blue. It's a pewter gray, it's the anodized color. It's this kind of blue, purpley gray color. And then the black insert that was engraved. So, and so you had a high contrast between 
the silver engraving and the black faceplate, and then the black inlaid insert into the gray panel was a, with the stainless steel cap head screws. It, it's just a chunky, cool look. And <laughs> so when when I took over, um, it, I was like, well, we've got a CNC machine and all capabilities here. We don't have to stick to rectangles anymore. So the box <laughs> box is where I created those, the triangles and the, the ovals or the D-shaped things and, and <laughs> made a big ass statement and put it in a three U box, you know, this big, huge thing to make a statement, you know, beautiful machining, but also it's not just a pretty face. It actually, all those groupings help organize the knob. So, you know, it really helps your workflow. Like you go right for the knob you need mm-hmm. and you're not, I've seen products where, you know, it say it's a combo unit and there's like, 30 knobs across it and you're like battleship d5 (laughs) you know okay that's the attack control you know it's hard to you have to re-learn and you know you have to count knobs to get to where you're trying to get to so that's why i started uh doing these shapes grouping the sections of products so it really helps you ergonomically as well i think i think it does yeah yeah (laughs) it's just it's so it's so elegant that you've it's it's sort of balancing the 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 um what how am I trying to say I, I don't know the quite the word I'm looking for but what what you make is a, is almost timeless with the you know it's it's the the technology of it is is back to the the roots of recording but then you've somehow managed to to put your own stamp on it and bring it into the modern era in such an elegant way and I think that's a yeah, it's really, really commendable. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I think it's yeah it, was, it was just having access. Initially, you know, there was a machine shop next door to us at, at the first BTL factory, which we ended up acquiring. We bought it. And, and working so closely with the machinists there enabled us to explore some, I mean, advanced for audio gear machining. <laughs> yeah. Not advanced as far as machining goes, but, but that look, that that David and Gary developed initially, I thought it was really cool looking. And it's important to, to keep that that method going on and just expand on the shapes and, and so on. And then other things with like dressing the meters a little nicer, like David used to initially, he always face, face mounted the, the meters. And then it's like, nah, people like it when you dress the meters up and you know maybe machine some bezels around it or or, or make a unique looking window or something like that. That, that makes the unit very, you know, physically attractive. To yeah. People, so. Oh yeah, um, definitely. So we've moved, we've moved to back mount meters and made the, <laughs> the, the windows look different. And, and then the cool thing in that Manly Numu, I love doing that. So we ordered some reverse wound meters so we could do two, meters facing up like this yes. and actually it makes it so easy to read because the needles are you know right next to each other and you're not like looking across the faceplate at left versus right oh i missed it you know yeah. so it's cool that's the um as you were talking before you brought it up that's the um the faceplate i had in my head was that new move compressor where i was thinking exactly that i was going to ask you about it next so i'm glad you i'm glad you yeah it's, it a, it's a cool design it's but yeah cool. that that's what we like doing is just exploring taking that method and then just making new creative shapes and mm-hmm. so on 
but oftentimes they'll start with me just sketching something on a piece of paper, definitely. Oh, cool. Uh, so finally, I um, this is something I ask everybody, is if, I guess it, I'm, I'm going to, it's two questions within one question. So if there, firstly, is um, somebody looking to get into, if, you know, if someone's listening to this and has, is, is hearing about the inner workings of, of gear for the first time, what would your advice be about exploring the the sort of electronic world um, from a beginner? You know, is it is it reading books or is it soldering cables or building guitar pedals or what? You know, what would you say are the good first steps for? Lots for of those things. I mean, for me, like I said, I had a hard time absorbing information from books. By the time I got out of college, I was just like been in school all my life, and <laughs> I was having a hard time getting through electronics books and really understanding why it was working, you know? Um, and also I've noted a, a link between my own anxiety or, I mean, you could call it ADD and I think it's not ADD. I think it's more anxiety issues. Um, and how that if I'm, if I'm having like an anxious time emotionally, like I'm worried about a lot of stuff or waking up worrying about things. I have a really hard time absorbing new information in those states. So mm-hmm. I've got to get my mind calm and happy and not worrying about too much stuff to be able to learn. So that's one thing I've noted. Um, earlier this year, I got onto, you know, that University of YouTube. <laughs> and I, I just, I started following some, um, some makers, like just like machinists where they just be machining things and learning more about machining. And, um, and also this guy teaching an Arduino class. And oh, cool. I, I know my way around some computer coding, you know, not on a super high level, but I know my way around some things. And um, I was able to really get it, man, just watching his tutorials and, and following along and doing the exercises. And he that guy was a math teacher. So, you know, everything really made a lot of sense from my math studies and making those equations and then writing the code to go along and all that controllability. And it, I learned a lot about electronics, just going through that exercise and buying, you know, a $35 kit off of Amazon to kind of follow along and make the code and then make that motor spin backwards and whatever. But <laughs> um, all that kind of controllability and gooey stuff, we, we're actually working on a lot of that stuff um, oh, cool. in, in our hi-fi preamp designs right now um and making everything controllable from afar so every, mm. every, all the switchings on relays all the the input or on encoders so we're sending a pulse everything's being controlled by you know a massive serial bus basically so from that we can control them with apps and things like that so oh, wow. as far as learning goes i think that that today there's so much information available on the internet in uh, lynda.com or whatever they're called now. And then all these U- YouTube tutorials, you can learn so much. And it, for me, it was a lot easier to absorb the information that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to just get a gig, you know, like I did, I started at the bottom most rung at, at the factory, um, just learning how to solder, I was working with a bunch of Mexicans who didn't even speak English at the time. And I'm like, shit, I should have taken Spanish. (laughs) I took French. 
there. <laughs> I can't talk with these guys. I went back and, and took Spanish, you know, so I could converse. But which brings me to another thing, just communication skills in general are so important to to be in any kind of working world, you know, communication, ability to learn, ability to assess yourself and figure things out and and admit when you don't know something that's really important too. And it's something I learned in my 20s. I didn't come into the business with that, but it's okay to say, hey, I no, I don't understand that. Or no, I don't know that. Can you explain it to me? Or give me a minute, let me go figure that out. It's okay. So I think my advice to young people is, is to really start humble, be grateful for that entry level job, um, you know, I see a lot of people like, oh, I need $100,000. It's like, nope, not for this job. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, some people are like really desperate to just start earning money. And you might miss out on the steps it takes to really acquire the knowledge. I, I, yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, something I've, a thing I, I sort of noted about, um, your approach to things is obviously it's uh, it's confident, but it's it's egoless. There seems to be no ego attached to the way that you approach things. And I hope your, so. Yeah, your willingness to to learn and listen, and um, yeah, it just seems uh, in a sort of a well, it's exactly what you've just said essentially. <laughs> so I think that that um, that shows it. So yeah, um, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for speaking with me. I, I Thank have, you, Joe. I have no I more questions. Jump to my factory ops meeting right now I'm seven <laughs> minutes late oh goodness i'm sorry <laughs> wanted to get get through this uninterrupted anyway yeah um, no i appreciate it thank you so much cool um, um it's been a real pleasure thank you so much So there we have it, Ivana Manley from Manley Laboratories. And if you don't already, I would recommend going to check them out on Facebook, uh, Instagram and all that kind of stuff. They're doing some really, really cool things. And I uh, think that there's some more cool things coming in the pipeline. Um, so that's it for this week. Next week, I am speaking with Alan Hyatt, uh, which is a bit of an interesting episode. I have no doubt that you guys will not have heard of Alan Hyatt because um, if I'm honest, I hadn't either. Um, but he came as a recommendation from a friend. And he is part of the distribution network uh, of audio equipment. So he owns uh, the company, the parent company of Toft Audio and Trident Desks um, <clears throat> and Joe Meek products, uh, among other things. And it's a really fascinating insight into the way that that side of the industry works. It's not a side of the industry that we get to hear about very often. Um, and as a, uh, as a sort of moderately plummy UK person, he's, um, he's the antithesis. He's a proper, um, New Yorker and he's got some great talk. <laughs> so that was a, it was a really fun episode. Um, and it, uh, it sort of goes along with the, um, how would you say, it goes along with my uh, penchant for uh, wanting to move away occasionally from the 60s side of things just to understand a little bit more about the way that the audio industry works. 
However, it does it does link because it kind of is part of um, Malcolm Toft's story, and it sort of um, opens up what happened with Toft Audio and Trident once that company had uh, sort of moved on from Malcolm's control. Um, I just found it a really interesting insight into the way that the industry works. So that's coming next week. Um, that just leaves me to say, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do that on Instagram or Facebook at All You Need Is Drums. My email address is joe at allyouneedisdrums.com. If you'd like to support the podcast by buying a mug, you can do that at my website, allyouneedisdrums.com. There's a link to the shop there. Um, and please do do that because I it would be really appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, big thanks to Joe Kane for the intro and outro music he supplies and my good friend David Henshaw for the artwork that he supplies. And I will see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>